Good morning, everybody. We begin our worship with a brief order for confession and forgiveness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name, amen. Almighty God in his mercy has given his Son to die for us and for his sake forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.
join together now in the prayer of the day that is found in the Celebrate insert in your bulletin. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without you nothing is strong, nothing is holy. Embrace us with your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may live through what is temporary without losing what is eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Good morning. The first lesson is taken from Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. The second lesson is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 13. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that, we received, that they receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This is not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work shall not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. We go, hear of the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. The Holy Gospel is written in Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 5. Glory to you, o Lord. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom 
that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Here ends the Holy Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My mother went to school at St. Olaf in Northfield, Minnesota. Does that surprise any of you? And she was a music major. She liked to uh, play uh, sheet music around the piano and uh, show tunes she liked to do. And so we gathered around, sang hymns and tunes. And uh, when I was in kindergarten, the number one song on the hit parade, and some of you will remember this. Well, thank you, Jared. It was, uh, he already heard this sermon over at the, uh, It was Doris Day. It was called Que Sera, Sera. Do you remember that song? 
You can join me if you want to. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. You did very well. I know how old you are now. <laughs> whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. But don't you kind of wish sometimes it was? Because you could, we could have avoided a lot of things. We could have not bought that house that turned out to be the money pit. We could have not bought that car that turned out to be a lemon. We could have not married that person that turned out to be a lemon. We could have, <laughs> we, we, we could have you know, not gone that place where we'd caught that dreaded disease. We could, there's, you know, uh, we could have done a lot of better investing. If we just, just would know the future, that would be great. Uh, but what if you could know the future, but you couldn't do anything about it? it was just, that would be even worse, wouldn't it? Then you would have this dread of, this is, this is coming down the pike, and I know it's coming, and I can't do it. That would be horrible. It would be like, um, remember the movie um, Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox? And uh, he, he, could, he went back and saw how horribly dysfunctional his family was, and he was appalled at that. But then Doc, remember Doc told him, Marty, it's not good to mess with the future. <laughs> so that's what we have today in the gospel lesson. The disciples are wanting to know the future. The setting is this. They're at the temple. It's Herod's new splendiferous temple. The temple it took like 80 years to build. It was almost finished by this time. All the outside was. And people like to go to the temple. Uh, Herod the Great, not because he was a great guy, but because he built great buildings. The temple, his palace, Masada, uh, things like that. He was not a great guy. He killed off several of his relatives who were a little too ambitious, thought they might take his throne. But it was, it was by all accounts, it was a wowser. And the uh, historian Josephus tells us that it had, the courtyard alone was like six football fields big. Some of the stones were, you know, 60 by 20. Uh, it, it was amazing. And it, it was kind of the ancient version of the Mall of America where people would go and go, oh, stand there with their mouth hanging open and go, wow. And people watch and do stuff like that. The disciples were doing that. Jesus was with them. And they were there gawking with their mouths hanging open going, wow, look at the size of these stones. Wow, the gold facade, the jewel-encrusted doors Josephus tells us about. Oh, man. And Jesus, a bit of a wet blanket at this point, says, well, better get a good look at it now because it won't be long and there will not be one stone left on top of another. All will be thrown down. And at this point, the disciples are shocked and appalled. and They go, well, when, when will this be? What will be the sign that this is happening? They assumed that this must be the end of the world. If the center of life and worship and culture, the temple, was gone. That's got to, that must mean the end of the world. When is this happening? What, how are we going to tell? What are the signs that this is coming? And what Jesus could have told them is, uh, well, when you see a big old Roman army encamped around <laughs> with siege works, you'll know. Because just 37 years after this date, 
in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. The Jews tried to have uh, an insurrection and throw off the yoke of Rome. Didn't work. And the Roman Empire came in. They, they besieged the city and, and just crushed them and tore down the temple. That, that was the symbol of their Judaism. They tore it down so there was not one stone left on top of another. All there is now is foundation stones under the ground. I, when I was in college, I, I went to see this, and I, and I put my own little... Uh, I, I, I hope it was a prayer. I don't remember. What, I was 21. Um, you know, you can put a little slip of paper in the, in the cracks, and like a prayer. My, my hunch is it was probably more like, oh, Lord, let me meet a cute Israeli girl tonight. You know, it was probably, probably something like that. But anyway, so that's the wailing wall. That's all that's left. It's under, underground foundation stones. All completely torn down. And then Jesus went from there to, uh, well, if you think that's the end of the world, no, it's not. There's going to be a lot more stuff. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, plagues, persecution. A lot of you will be killed for my name. All of that stuff, ha- portents in the heavens, all that stuff has to happen. And that's not the end, but it has to happen before the end. So then he, what he was saying is that when the end comes, the end of time, uh, everybody's going to know. The Gospel of Mark makes that clearer than Luke. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to come riding in on the clouds and everybody will know. You won't have to wonder, is this it? You'll know, this is it. Jesus' second coming will be as obvious as his first coming at Bethlehem was obscure. You'll know. You'll know that it's happening. But in the meantime, that's not the really important part. The important part is what we do between now and then. In the epistle lesson for today, St. Paul had a problem with the folks at Thessaloniki that apparently there were some of them who just were sitting around waiting for the Lord's second coming. They were kind of the spiritual elite, and they thought, well, we'll just sit and pray and meditate and let the other people work and feed us. (laughs) <laughs> and St. Paul, that scrappy old tent maker who worked at night on tents so that he could preach the gospel during the day, was having none of it. And he said, short version, if anybody doesn't want to work, neither should they eat. This is not what you do while waiting for the Lord, is sit around and fold your hands and go, ooh, uh, aren't, aren't we meditation smart here? No, you have work to do, and you do it. St. Francis of Assisi was asked one time, what, what would you do if you only had one day to live, if you knew this is the last day of the end of the world? And St. Francis said, why, I would continue weeding my garden, of course. Martin Luther was asked the same question, what would you do if you knew this was the end of the world, your last day? Martin Luther said, why, I would plant another apple tree. In other words, we don't have to uh, have this sense of I guess it's kind of a lack of assurance sometimes that Christians have. It's like it's a sense that if I'm, you know, leaning one foot in heaven, one foot in hell, depending upon which foot I'm leaning at the moment when Jesus comes back or I die, you know, that's what's going to happen to me. No, no, that's not it. We live, hear the assurance today. We are baptized children of God. and We're going to baptize another child of God this morning. And when we are sealed with the sign of the cross and we are baptized Christians who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a state of grace. 
Not one foot in heaven, one foot in hell. Uh Uh-oh, where am I? No, a state of grace. It's kind of like for those of you who are parents, that your children were fortunate that they sometimes lived in a state of grace with you. (laughs) Because if they were going by, you know, one one screw-up, all right, throw them out in a snowbank. We're done with them as children. Uh, No, they lived with you in a state of grace because they were your children and you love them. And we may do that imperfectly, but God does it perfectly. So that's, that's what we're looking at here, is that we are people who have always been God's, God's favorites, that He is always going to be with us and that He is going to take us to Him. So we don't have to worry about the last days. Lutherans, in our better traditions, don't do a lot of predicting, you know, like... Uh, you remember the uh, Hal Lindsey book, The Late Great Planet Earth, that came out in about 1970? And he said that the end of the world was going to be in 1971, I think it was. And, <laughs> and then it didn't happen. The only good thing then was you could buy the book for half price. But then he, he had to revise, oh, I missed a couple of signs. And then he revised it to like the end of 1978. And then the, the Tim LaHaye series, the Left Behind series about the rapture stuff. Lutherans do not do that. We're not very concerned about when the end is going to come or predicting when the end is going to come or exactly you know, how that's going to look. What we are concerned about is how we live our lives in the meantime. Do we confess Christ? Do we spread the grace and the love of God to all other people? Are we doing the work that we're given to do? And if we are, it's all good. So, we're not sure what the future will bring, but we know, que sera, sera, we know that the future is going to be great. Those who are in Christ, the future is real bright, and we look forward to that. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.